This is the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless, a weekly podcast hosted by Chris Milson, a podcast to help break the stigma of mental health and to remind everyone that it is okay to be not okay, and to remind those that they are never alone. Please also note that Chris is not a psychologist or psychiatrist and is speaking from research and experiences. Trigger warning for those for the possible explicit content and language. What's up, Warriors, and welcome to another episode of the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless. I am your host, Chris. Today, we have a special guest. Uh, she is an Indigenous medicine woman, and uh, I believe you're based out of Canada, right? Yes, I am in Calgary, Alberta. Awesome. Um, and we're just going to, you know, cover Suicide Prevention Month, you know, just like the last couple episodes, and just kind of pick her brain, because uh, I thought... All the content that you covered, Reese, uh, was very interesting, and I wanted to get your thoughts on a lot of them and just see uh, how this journey began for you. So thank you so much for being on today. I'm honored to be here. Like, Thank you for the invitation. You're so welcome. Um, so let me start off with uh, the easiest question uh, to ask, um, just for the subject matter. What does Suicide Prevention Month mean to you? To me... It means bringing a much needed awareness to everyone um, on such a hot topic that holds so much shame to it, when really, in reality, most, if not all people in life experience suicidal ideation or, or those dark thoughts at one point or another in their life. Couldn't agree more. I, I feel like, uh, you know, every time this subject comes up, you know, whether it's uh, among a group of friends or just, you know, some like random person on, on a TikTok post, it just always feels like, you know, like you said, there's that that big black cloud, that shame that comes along with talking about suicide. And I feel like uh, one of the biggest problems with social media is, you know, making trauma a competition instead of like lifting each other up. It's like, oh, well, I sprained my ankle, you broke your leg, your pain is more than mine, or my pain is more than yours. And I just kind of feel like sometimes we go backwards more than we spread awareness for it. I have to agree with you. And and that's even in like a therapy chair, I have clients that know my story, and have read my books. And they will say, well, Reese, you've been through more. I'm like, yes, but that doesn't take away from the fact that your experience was equally traumatic for you. I, those of us as on the clinical side, we're, we're not sitting there judging you. We just want to help. Right. Because it's not a competition. Yes, it might help that I've been through worse, but I'm not sitting here keeping score. Right. <laughs> And, you know, um, I, I spoke about this with uh, another therapist that I had on um, as a guest where, you know, she's like, people forget that therapists are people, too. You know, it's a uh, yeah, they may or may not have been through worse than what you're going through. But like you said, it doesn't devalue anything that you that you went through because everybody's experience is their own. And uh, when I first went to uh, therapy, when I lived in New Jersey, um 
she really worked with patients that were like victims of like sex trafficking and stuff. And a lot of those were, were younger clients. And when I went in there uh, first session, you know, I, I couldn't look at her in the eyes because, you know, I was just so upset. I, I was devaluing my experience because I'm like, damn, maybe what I went through wasn't as bad because I didn't have to go through that. And like you said, nobody's keeping score. Nobody's saying, oh, well, you haven't gone through this. So your life isn't that bad, you know? And uh, again, going back to what we uh, started with, it's, it's not a competition, nor should it be treated like one. Right. Well, and in reality, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. I'm sitting there hoping that clients haven't experienced like a 10th of what I have. Right. Because I know like it's that much harder to come back from. Yeah. And also like that their suicide risks are going to be that much higher. Right. Yes. I I have a background like working with high risk youth particularly. And and I know they're, they're like broken little firecrackers that you just have to nurture and, and hope that you say the right words for the individual to keep them here for another day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I came across a video um, on TikTok yesterday where a guy was uh, talking about this uh, little girl, 11 years old. Um, she got bullied heavily and she posted a suicide note on uh, on YouTube. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I almost didn't listen to it because I was just like, this is going to be rough. Like, I don't know if I can hear a little girl's voice and hear that pain. And like listening to her tell people like, don't be mean to others and don't bully anybody and just be yourself. And just like 11 year old girl being wiser than some 50 year old, 60 year old people is crazy. Cause it's just like bullying is probably one of the worst things in this community. And I feel 2023 is a lot worse than it was in 1980 when it comes to bullying. You know, uh, obviously, I wasn't born in the 80s. I didn't experience that. And I'm sure the bullying was more on the physical side. But I feel like cyberbullying is a whole nother extreme. Ah, um, it, it's relentless. It's a little psychotic. I, people, you'll get, you'll block the bully. And then they'll just create a new account. And they keep going. And and then it's it's not just bullying. It's harassment. A, it's way more on the mental side now yeah. than I would rather get beat up. Like, yeah, no, I, not, I, promoting <laughs> violence, not promoting violence at all. <laughs> I, I completely agree. Um, Cause it's just, you know, back then it was just, okay. If you stood up to the bully, you swing at him nine times out of 10, they're not going to come back for you, you know? And nowadays like you said you create new accounts um so i i think I, i've told this story um a couple like maybe last year when it happened so i i'm really big into the wrestling community you know i've been a wrestling fan since i was like seven years old and um I, i'm very opinionated when it comes to wrestling because i'm passionate about it and you know sometimes that brings in trolls that i just don't agree um it got to a point where they were targeting my family um including my deceased brother and it got to a point where i had to call uh the cops like you know the non-emergency line and i'm like hey like 
something needs to be done. Like, this is insane. Oh, well, unless they physically do something, we can't do anything. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's that's a great preventative measure. Um, I feel like there's not enough channels for people to go through that are getting cyberbullying. No, and, and that's part of the problem is we've shifted into this world where there's no consequences. Right. Like, again, like back to that older world. Oh, you're being a dick. You're likely to get slapped around. Right. And, and learn to not be a dick. <laughs> now it's it's encouraged. So, so that kind of brings me to a question that uh, has been thrown around in the community a little bit. And, you know, like you said, I don't provoke violence myself either. Do you think it's a discipline problem? Um, among a lot of these kids or, you know, now younger adults, do you think, do you feel um, that it's a discipline problem? That That's definitely part of the equation. Because I feel like it's a lot of these kids can just pick up a phone and, you know, they get they get tapped on the hand or whatever, they get smacked or whatever and call the cops and the, the parents in jail. You know, um, that's my sister's generation. You know, it's a... Uh, Kids are wild. <laughs> yeah, I one of one of my mom's friends has kids younger than me, and that child being reckless has had the cops called on mom, who was not doing anything out of hand. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's insane. And I couldn't imagine like how different of an environment it is in Canada opposed to here. Cause I know it's just like they get CPS involved here and just, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what the solution is at this point. Cause it's just like, you can't discipline your kids and they're just, they're out of control. Right. Well, and, and not even just the kids, some of these adults need consequences too. Absolutely. I I've seen some really out of hand things especially since the pandemic Mm -hmm. like that global trauma seems to have really impacted everyone whether they're acknowledging it or not especially from a social standpoint you know because i know for me um the first event that i went to when covid was beginning to end quote unquote um was a concert and you know there's like a couple thousand people on this on this dance floor and they're like oh well you gotta wear a mask and and everything i'm like okay there's gonna be a lot of bodies like next to each other and feel like suffocate there um and i was kind of like at the point like if i get sick at least it'll it'll happen and you know whatever uh, i'll get over it or whatever the case and um I remember taking off my mask just so I can breathe. I'm just like, this is crazy. Like I cannot wear a mask at a concert. Like it's crazy. I was looking around, everybody's still wearing a mask. I'm like, "Uh Oh, I'm going to put my mask back on because uh, I was starting to get anxiety. Um, But social anxiety is, I feel like severely increased since the pandemic. Oh, definitely. I I don't remember having social anxiety issues as an adult right before the pandemic and now when i go out like there, there's that silent worry like yeah i've already had it twice and and i'm vaccinated like sure i get it again i'm probably not gonna die but right. 
there's still that, oh, I could. That little voice in the back of your head, right? <laughs> um, so let's let's uh let's talk about uh talk about your journey and uh where you're at now to the point of being able to help people. Um, so where does where does your 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 journey begin, and how did it um turn into helping other people heal? Oh, well, I mean, it- the mental health issues and the trauma started young. Um, but luckily, I actually started like my own counseling and healing journey at 11. And wow. um, I also started doing my training through Medicine Woman um, stuff in, in all of our tribal ways, young as well. But I I always maintained more of the mental health and social work side of those things because I also as a teenager the first time I had my assist training which is your suicide intervention training in Canada I don't know if it's the same in the states I was 15 I I got that at 15 so that I could better help my friends because they were a depressed suicidal bunch and I didn't want to lose any of them I, I guess that's where I got lucky because I stuck with it in facilitating groups and, and eventually finishing my training. And from there, I, I went and learned every technique that I personally needed to heal because I was having very limited success in overcoming my PTSD and my trauma within like your basic Western practices. And eventually I... It was mindfulness practices and specific um, meditation practices that were equivalent to doing psychedelics without the drugs that helped me actually rewire the brain to not just be in a constant trauma state. Right. I think, you know, um, for me, uh, when I was 14, um, that was uh, my first attempt uh, at unaliving myself. And unfortunately, um, you know, as, as I've mentioned on a couple previous podcasts, um, the resources weren't there, you know, um, it was, I had to do outpatient therapy that didn't do anything for me. And it was with a therapist who specialized in gambling uh, addiction. So just to show you where the world was at, at that time, um, you know, fast forward now being 31, uh, I have been in therapy now three years and in these three years um between the podcast and the group that uh that you're a part of as well um there's so many peaks and valleys uh of of this journey you know obviously as you know and a lot of awareness and education um has helped me get to where i'm at today um i wish more than anything that I could go back to my younger self and, you know, tell, tell myself that it's okay what you're going through and you don't have to go through it alone. Cause when we're that young and, you know, your parents are divorced, you don't have a support system. That's very strong. Uh, you feel very alone and, you know, thus creating that mindset of, you know, okay, so I'm alone. So nobody's going to care if I'm gone. And 
unfortunately, I feel like that's that's um, the same mindset that a lot of people have that, you know, either aren't open to healing or aren't uh, open to finding those resources or are afraid to. Because I feel mm-hmm. like there's still that stigma of of therapy, you know, like that co- that post you commented on uh, yesterday. Um, we should normalize the conversation of therapy. You know, uh, we shouldn't be a, a group of men or women that um, just scold each other or judge each other because somebody's going to therapy. Like, I believe everybody could use therapy in some form or another. Absolutely. Like we we all have things that we need to heal from. So wait, why are we shaming others for doing so? Like I most of us are, are not boomers. Right. We don't need to sit around and gossip about so and so's divorce that actually has them in complete mental anguish and and teetering on the edge. Why don't you support that friend and say, Hey, do you need to talk? Do, do you need resources? I can find them. And, you know, the language part of it is so important because, you know, when you say that you're here for somebody, you know, there's there should be a lot to back that up, not just to say it. So somebody feels like, okay, cool. Somebody's there for me. Somebody actually cares about me. Like language absolutely matters, like finding those resources for people. Uh, I've I've talked down more people than I, I can uh, think of and it's one of those things where you feel like you're making a difference and, and I'm sure in your practice there's a lot of that feeling too because you help so many people um, and for me you know I've volunteered for the the crisis text line and I've I've dealt with a, a youth a crisis situation and those those are really hard to deal with because you know you put yourself in that kid's shoes and it's just like man 12-year-old, 14-year-old kids should not be feeling like this at all. And then it it manifests into adulthood and it gets so much worse and it messes with your psyche. Right? Like, even the kids in groups that I was dealing with, like, five, six years ago, they've now aged out as they were teenagers then. And now when they message me and they're still in that same state, I'm just as heightened. I'm like no you you are still this kid that I worry about and that's still how I see you I don't care that it was 11 at night and I was almost asleep now we're gonna make sure you're okay yeah and you know that that's another thing um when you say that you're there for somebody who's in a suicidal mentality and it's just like obviously not telling people to be there for somebody 24 7 because you know that's unrealistic but if you're if you're trying to help somebody, you know, talk them off that metaphoric and literal cliff, um, then it's just like you have to make sure that you're willing to hold yourself accountable to the point of, uh, you know, making sure that they make it to the next day. You know, everybody, you know, we're all adults. We all uh, are accountable for all our, our actions, you know, and I feel if you're trying to be there for somebody, absolutely make sure that you follow through with those words. Exactly. And, you know, if you have to put parameters on it, like, hey, these are the hours I'm generally sleeping. So make sure that that's stated so that the person knows, 
okay, maybe this is not the best time to reach out to Chris. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, boundaries are absolutely important. And, uh, you know, this kind of kind of segues into, you know, honoring your inner child too, because, you know, you might still have those bruises and cuts from when you were a kid and listening to this person's story might be very triggering for you. And I know for a really long time, um, the words triggered was just, you know, social media memes. It was just like, oh, well, you're triggered this, you're triggered that. And uh, my brother, before he passed away, um, he had reached out to me about a friend. He's like, you know, uh, I wanted to genuinely ask you something because what are triggers? Like, I don't understand what triggers are. Like, you know, I know the haha social media, your trigger thing. Like, you know, that's social media being social media. And I said, well, you know, it's not walking on eggshells, but making sure that you don't step on landmines for people because exactly. you don't. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's making sure that you're not setting somebody off because of people's past trauma. And it's so easy to do that, especially I'm sure in your profession. Oh yeah. Um, what steps do you take? Uh, like say if you, uh, unintentionally, uh, I guess trigger somebody, cause I know, uh, I'm sure being a therapist, you just, uh, you don't intentionally hit triggers, but what is what are your steps to taking if you accidentally trigger somebody? Like, do you just get them off of that, off of that ledge and try and talk them down kind of thing? Yeah. I, I always immediately slip into like comfort mode, like try and talk them down, like remind them of like breathing techniques and, and various techniques that will help them ground and bring them back to the present moment. Because yeah, like hey, those triggers, they're always accidental. I and we are always anticipating them in those chairs because I'm I'm most often working with trauma. Right. But at the same time, like there's always that brief panic, depending on the level of the trigger. Cause you know, some of them are are okay, okay, I just need to breathe. And others are okay, we we have to pause, we need to take a break, comfort, like warm beverage or cold beverage depending because not all people find warm comforting i i'm a person that is comforted by cold which is weird i don't know it might be a i'm the same way <laughs> i gotta i, I gotta have cold i can't do hot <laughs> like soft things but cold things right <laughs> like uh, I, I live in florida so i have enough heat here <laughs> yeah you, you need cold <laughs> it's it's always a balancing act right because you you want to talk the person back down but you also you don't want to make it seem like you're speaking down to them or belittling or minimizing anything like yeah sometimes they honestly are are okay sitting in that trigger yeah and like, which is part of what we train a person to do, like sit with it, feel it, let it go. But yes, that is also easier said than done. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the most important part that you said there is, uh, you know, uh, not minimalizing it and also letting them feel what they're feeling. Because I feel so many people are always trying to get somebody out of that negative state of mind. It's just like, oh, well, I'm here. You know, everything's going to be OK. It's just like, OK 
those are great comforting words, but you need to understand somebody's in a crisis. You don't just, you can't just expect them to climb off that uh, cliff and everything's going to be fine because it doesn't work that way. Um, when I first uh, created the mental health movement page on Facebook, you know, uh, I was really keen on sharing my story and just, you know, um, finding the right language language and stuff to use um, in this community because every day you learn something new, right? And, yeah. you know, instead of saying kill, uh, somebody killed themselves, you know, somebody unalived themselves. And again, language and terminology is so important uh, in this community because I feel when you're saying somebody killed themselves, it's kind of taking away from how powerful that situation you know was you know it's uh taking your life is not something easy at all you know and so many people that are uninformed to that mentality it's like i don't think you realize like how much pain somebody has to go through and somebody has to hold on to to want to get to that point you know i obviously don't encourage unaliving at all you know it's very serious and uh people that are just getting into uh, this journey of healing you know it, you gotta make sure that you're willing to always listen to everybody's perspective and listening to how people heal from certain things because how i heal and how you heal might be two completely different ways and there's no wrong way to do it um i remember making a post uh in the group like when this uh the group was first formed it was a, a gentleman sharing his story uh, about his son unaliving himself and it was very graphic it was uh very detailed um on how it happened because you know it's a father uh grieving a loss of a son and somebody had um messaged me like hey uh just letting you know i had to take a break from the page because that was very triggering post for me and you know this is the very early stages of when i was uh starting my journey and i didn't really understand what triggers were and she's like, she said, uh, can you please put trigger warning on a post like that in the future? Because that was really hard for me to read. You know, it was it was a raw post and it was something that shouldn't be put out there without a warning. And I'm like, OK, um, so I did my research and uh, understand a lot more what triggers are, because I had triggers myself that I didn't uh, I didn't know existed. Um and I, and I just, you know, like you said, I, I feel the most important part is grounding people when you do hit those landmines and uh, talk them down the best of your ability. Because there's no wrong way to talk somebody down. It's just uh, you got to be careful how you word things. Well, and th this isn't an always thing, but most people, whether it's a trigger or whether they're in that space and thinking about completing most of them just need to be heard and absolutely like most of them just need someone to genuinely sit down and listen and i i have to say like that that's the beautiful part of it yes it's high endorphin and and it's always a little nerve-wracking because you never know how it will go but once you get a person to hey i'm okay I'm going to go to bed. Like, I, and, you know, I feel part uh, of, oh, okay, good. They're here I, I always feel like um, when, uh, when it comes to the conversation of suicide, you know, I feel there's a really big misconception when it comes to 
uh, suicidal ideologies where people are like, oh, well, they always talked about taking their life. I'm like, I don't I don't know if you guys know this or not, but most people that are going to take their life don't talk about it. You know, obviously not saying there aren't people who have said they're going to do it, do it. But nine times out of 10, I feel like it's fair to say that they don't talk about it. If they know they're going to do it, they're going to do it. And and exactly people that are actually have the plan and they're, they're ready to do it. They're not making that call. Yeah. And And honestly, that's why everyone needs basic intervention training. Because right. there are so many signs that someone is in like the depths of depression and in that space. And those signs speak so loud too, you know, like uh, being at the point of where I am and what I've experienced myself and know those signs. It's just like, you know, you don't joke about saying you're going to, you're going to unalive yourself. You know, I, I f- there's so many people just in social media in general that say oh well i'm gonna do this i'm like okay like do you really mean that because i i'm here to help you we can call a crisis hotline together you know whatever you need um and it's just like it keeps that stigma over the conversation of suicide and it just it makes makes this journey so much harder than it needs to be to get that word out to get that awareness out yeah um I completely agree. So alluding back to uh what you had mentioned towards the beginning of the podcast, you had mentioned that you had wrote books. Um both of them entitled uh they were published uh under the paralysis series, um beating the odds and paralysis two hot takes and self-empowerment. What made you want to get into writing those books? Honestly, I, I needed to tell my story. I both like the first one it I didn't I wasn't even sure I would publish it I just needed to write it to write it and that one is is more the recovery yes I I talk about the experiences like mentally and and the experiences of someone living life while um overcoming paralysis but book two gets spicy it it talks about everything else um from the underage um, sex work to really different things that are going on in our present society that we could really change like you could consider my second book a feminist manifesto of the world we live in today right and i um how long did it take you to write uh, the first book? Because I know you said you didn't really plan on publishing it, but you wanted to share your story. What? Uh, how long did it take you and what made you want to put it out there? The writing itself on, on the last first draft, I would say from, from start to finish before editing, I did it in like two months. Wow. And, you you know, you just basically wanted to get your story out there because you felt like a lot of people could both hear you out and also, you know, maybe look at themselves and like, hey, maybe I should talk to somebody and not go through what what Reese had to go through kind of situation. Right. 
Well, yeah, and and really empowering people to remember, like if you put your mind to something, you you can do it. Yeah, you might need to find adequate support and you know some good outlets, but anything you want to do in this life, you can do. It's it's just time and effort. Yeah, and uh, so outside of uh, you know your your line of work and what you do to help other people. What are some ways that you practice self-care? Like what uh, helps you decompress? What helps you, you know, be become whole again for the next day? Exercising daily or, or as close to daily as possible. Right. Um, creative outlets. Like I, I'm a musician. I play guitar um, as well as a few others, but those are not here with me. Any, and like, visual arts but i would say exercise and really like taking care of what you need if you hate cooking every day meal prep freeze it take it out when you need it like cook once a week and yes it's boring if that's what you have to do but (laughs) if that's what you need to do to eat in the depths of your depression then please do it and it's uh you know it's it's so important uh you know to to practice that self care too. I feel a lot of people don't appreciate uh what it means to practice self care because especially I feel like especially parents you know uh obviously you know your kids are gonna come first. Most people put their kids first, but sometimes you gotta put yourself first too. You know it's there's nothing wrong with taking a nap. You know obviously finding someone to uh, you know, uh, help watch your kids or help you with the kids for like an hour or two, take a nap, you know, uh, uh, I feel, uh, journaling helps me a lot, you know, uh, kind of like with your book, you know, you didn't plan on releasing it and you did to both help yourself and help anybody else who's going through it. Um, when I, when I talk to friends about journaling, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, well, I don't want to write in a diary, you know, it's nothing like that. I'm like, I don't think you realize like, people underestimate how powerful it is to write words on a piece of paper when it's your thoughts in your head. Cause I always, uh, equivalent to it, um, to getting demons off your back and putting them on a piece of paper. It's like, this is what I'm going through and this is how, uh, I'm healing. You know, um, my therapist, um, came up with a homework assignment for me a couple months ago called the compassionate observer. Basically, what it is, is um, I'll write in two voices. I'll write the the negative voice, you know, what's what's in my head and what I'm going through. And I'll counteract it with the competitive or competitive, compassionate observer. And, you know, try to make sense of, of those feelings. It helps me so much. And um, the second time that I wrote, wrote down, I started saying I love you to myself because most people don't start in the mirror every single day and say that, uh, that they love themselves. And that's something I feel many of us in today's society are missing is self-love. Cause you know, I, you, look, you is... look at yourself in the mirror and sometimes you don't like what you see in the reflection. And like you said, it's, it's up to us to hold ourselves accountable and make those changes and, you know, apply ourselves to, what we want in this life and and exactly it's that self-accountability like 
if if seeing your alarm go off in the morning is something that makes you dread life, change the name of the alarm if your phone allows you to do that. Make it a kind message to yourself so that's the first thing you see in a day. I like that. My uh, my phone reads my reads my uh, my alarm clock names, and sometimes it's like "get up, assholes." <laughs> right, right. Like that. That's what I used to do, and and especially um in college when I never got enough sleep, so I was always right. super mad about it going off. Just get up, fucker. <laughs> and now it's I love you. Go make a million dollars. That's a, that's a good manifestation. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, it's like, okay, okay, I'm being called out, but but maybe I'm being kind to myself today, maybe. <laughs> right. Um, I definitely think affirmations are very important. And I and I actually, the alarm clock name is one of those like low-key, like really brilliant things to do because uh, especially during the pandemic when we were all working from home, like I still work from home and only go to the office two days a week sometimes. And, uh, you know, being isolated and being alone all the time, we forget how important that positive self-talk and those self-affirmations are. So I'm going to change my alarm clock names tonight. <laughs> um, so you have a few projects on your website, uh, basically all under, uh, you know, bliss audit, um, blisses, which is a Facebook group, possibility of bliss. What are intent, uh, what are your intentions with these projects and, uh, how beneficial have you found it to be for, for the community you support? Well, the possibility of bliss, um, is a mini audio series that entails two different TED talks. I found insanely inspiring on tough days and in the middle of that, um, what there's one day where I send you a audio love letter from me. I, that is intended for people in their darkest moments to hopefully get some inspiration and to hopefully like either reach out or to just feel better for the day. Um, that, that links to my email list, which includes the, the weekly series of events I run um, in Blissess, as well as the um, monthly event I just started where I bring in other BIPOC women and we talk about our experiences to healing and what really made a difference in those. It might morph into a podcast one day, but at this point, it's more of like a community chat. Um, I actually, I only recently started the community, so that that's actually a shift for me, but generally aimed at other BIPOC women, but as long as someone is respectful and not blatantly racist, they can be there as well. Right. Right. It's, it's ultimately, it's my women's group. Um, nice. Um, you know, I, I feel it's, it's so important. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to hear that you're passionate about what you do. Cause, um, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts and on others, there's too many people in this community that just look for how much money they can make doing this, you know, what, what they can do to benefit themselves, uh, as a therapist or as a social worker, whatever it is, there aren't enough people 
who are willing to uh i don't want to say going out of their way because it's nothing like that but extending yourself for other people you know sending that that audio note to to your followers to your supporters i think is one of the greatest ways to to reach people because you know in, in social media everything's visual everything's audio and um being able to add to that uh you know stimulation of you know somebody actually cares about me and hearing those affirmations um is it's refreshing to hear somebody uh you know whether it's my therapist or somebody else's therapist or yourself that are passionate enough to extend a piece of yourself a piece of your healing journey to help others heal because more people need to hear that they're enough you know more people need to know that they're worthy of so much good in this life and such a evil world you know it's mm-hmm. there's more darkness in this world than there is light but there's people like you and myself that try our hardest to extend that light to other people so thank you for sharing that that part of it uh with us because it's super important that you get your message out there and that you help others heal um now as for the podcast uh comment that you made i um, I love that you're starting to um, extend yourself in another direction too, where um, you have that community chat. Um, I think it's great. Um, if you do end up starting that podcast, um, do let me know. I will do my best to help you share it and uh, feel free to share it in the the group as well. Um, more than welcome. You're, you're a family member, just like anybody else. So I, I do appreciate uh, everything that you do. Thank you so much. Of course. So what inspired the concept of, uh, I'm going to butcher this word. I butcher it every time. Um, in, in Indigenous, right? Is that how you say it? Indigenous uh, yep. trauma counseling. What what inspired the concept of Indigenous trauma counseling for you? It's bringing back the, the traditional ways of healing into a mix of our like westernized practices because for me i i spent 13 years in and out of counseling is that where i actually saw long-lasting results no because most of westernized counseling they give you a booklet you complete said booklet magically you are not healed (laughs) surprise surprise and yet my my clients, when I run them through meditations, talk therapy, music therapy if needed, um, and everything else that we will try, I I don't have a failure rate because it's bringing you to what you need. And I wouldn't say I specifically use the indigenous medicine wheel, but like the concepts of for actually dealing with all quadrants of your life, like the mental, the physical, the spiritual, and making sure that you're okay in each quadrant. Because if if you're not, like, yes, it might be your mental health that is feeling the pull, but it could be your physical health or or a lack of spiritual wellness that is causing it. It, it might not be related and and it's often not right it's always other circumstances 
I think my favorite part of this community, um, when it comes to like the professionals and like yourself, um, who have specialized in this, uh, this field, my favorite part is just how many different, uh, perspectives and how many different ways there are that people use to help others heal like i've had spiritual healers on here i've had uh people who use just you know natural medicines and stuff to to help other people and it's it's always interesting to hear just how many different ways there are to help people heal and uh like you said you know you spent 13 years in and out of counseling and it's just like oh here's a booklet and you're pressing restart every single new counselor that you meet and it's always hard to find somebody who's willing to help you on every level of healing you know it's people have that misunderstanding of therapy where it's just like oh well it's just a place to vent it's not though like you find the right person like yourself you hit every level and you know like my therapist she's hit every level for me too and um therapy is not for everybody and i i will make that as as clear as i can for anybody who listens to these podcasts because it's it takes so much work to want to be willing to heal 95% of that work is done outside of that room exactly like you know the people that uh, our prescribed medicine, you know, I, I'm not, I myself, I'm not big on medicine. I don't want to take meds. I don't feel the need to take meds, but there are people that genuinely need it. Yeah. Um, now the problem with that is that medicine is there to help you get through every day. Right. But if you're not talking about what you need to go through, you know, you're just depending on medicine to get you through every single day. And like yeah. you said, the work starts outside of that room. And that's what a lot of people don't really understand. It's like, oh, well, they prescribed me uh, X amount of milligrams of this and I feel better every day. I'm like, okay, but how are you feeling spiritually, emotionally? Like you have your off days still, you need to start talking about that. And I I would rather go a natural uh, route opposed to, you know, being prescribed something from big pharma because, uh, you know, it's a lot of therapists just get paid to prescribe people you know that and that's the unfortunate reality of of this society exactly like even when I'm working with someone that has experienced chronic pain like myself we're, we're gonna talk about their diet and like different herbs that they can implement to their diet before I'm gonna say hey go see a western physician please like like let's cross every other thing off the list first because ultimately western medicine has just turned into surgery or a band-aid solution absolutely um when i tore my shoulder in 2016 um i remember going to the doctor and getting it looked at you know we did mris we did x-rays we couldn't find what was going on i my whole arm was i couldn't move it at all right first thing he says um we can rehab it or we can get you medicine or we can do surgery and i told him i said honestly i don't want medicine like absolutely not you're not getting me hooked on painkillers um and then the rehab thing i'm like yeah i could do rehab it'll be a longer process but i don't want to do that and i said can we just do the surgery like it's really bad like i cannot move my arm um so we got the surgery done um when i was getting my stitches removed um he showed me a picture of how bad i tore it it basically looked like it was uh the muscles in a blender right and he's like uh 
be glad that she got the surgery. I'm like, I'm not stupid, dude. Like, I'm not going to get pills just because you tell me that pills will make it feel better. Um, one quote that I will forever remember, and it was one of my uh, guests, Sydney. Um, she was the the natural. Uh, she's all natural medicine and stuff that helps her clients with. Um, they want to um, treat the the symptom and not the cause. And that's, you know, modern day um, medicine. Unfortunately, it's they don't want to treat the root cause of your trauma. It's like, oh, well, you're feeling depressed here. I'm going to prescribe you this. Oh, you got anxiety. Let me give you this. And it's just like, at what point do we finally say enough is enough and just slowly push the conversation of medicine away? Because my mom has been uh, prescribed Xanax since she was a kid. And the second she stops taking it, her anxiety is like out of control. Like it's really bad. And again, it's that generation of people, you know, she's almost 50. So, you know, that, that generation was don't go to therapy. Cause if you go to therapy, you're crazy. And, you know, Oh, you have a shrink. Oh, well then we got to stay away from you. You're, you're a nut job kind of thing. Um, and when she, I remember when she stopped taking her antidepressants, um, when she, started trying to go to therapy um she stopped taking them for like a day i think this was like maybe six months after she started them and she just stopped like cold turkey for like three days started hallucinating started like off the wall like bad and i told her my mom you cannot just stop uh, taking your medicine like that like you will die um and i was trying to get her to understand she's like i just want to be normal i'm like oh that's that medicine. That's that influence of that medicine in your brain. Like I, I hate more than anything in the world that uh, prescriptions are so heavy in this community because it makes things so much harder. Yeah. And and for you, I'm sure it's frustrating because you know, you have clients that may or may not have to take those said medicines. Right. Well, and and you see the side effects and and then it's okay. Is this helping more than it's hindering? Right. But that's also something I can't say out loud. I I just get to sit there and think it while I look pretty. Right. (laughs) And and it's really hard uh, to have that conversation with some people because it's just like, oh, well, you're judging me because I take medicine. It's like, no, I'm just genuinely trying to help you. And the doctor is telling you that you need to take this medicine. And it's just, again, that conversation is so hard to have with some people because it's like, well, I need to take this medicine or I won't be better. I'm like, that's what they got you believing. Exactly. Well, and um, I've been to counselors that said, you absolutely need this. When I go on an antidepressant within 24 hours, I experienced serotonin poisoning. Jesus. There is no lack of serotonin in my brain. I experience a lack of dopamine. Right. Oh my God. I my depression is more related to what appears as ADHD. Right. It's on the neurodivergent side of things. Like it, it got worse with the brain injury, but and and that's what I've learned. I'm like, oh, I'm having a dark day. Oh, it's too late to take those. Okay, I'm gonna get up early tomorrow and take those. Right. And I just feel like, you know, when I hear all the side effects of these antidepressants, it infuriates me because it's like, aren't you supposed to like deter suicidal thoughts? Like, 
why am I taking antidepressants and those suicidal thoughts are there? Like that, why why is that even a thing? And every time I watch TV and I and I hear about some medicine that's supposed to do this, oh well, side effects may include, and it's like a whole dictionary's worth of side effects. It's like I'm confused. Hundred dollars per prescription, and I'm still getting all these side effects. Like you gotta talk because uh, this ain't it, boss. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's so infuriating because we we've gone to one size fits all right when we, we need to go back to individualized medicine absolutely i agree um to follow up on the indigenous uh trauma counseling um what is the trauma informed uh mindfulness entail that those are are specific like that's when i'll do the programs with the intense meditations and I generally do them one-on-one, but I can also do them group session. Um, but that's more the mindfulness. The Let me take you on a drug-free meditation quest where, where we find those loops. And, and in this subconscious state, you walk through these different scenarios in their life, whether they be trauma or not. And you come out and there, there's this intense clarity as we sit there and we debrief because they've just tapped what's been subconsciously driving them up the wall for however long. And yes, they, they do need support after that to continue to take, let's say, corrective action. Mm-hmm. But I, I have found... The, these meditations that are equivalent to doing psychedelics doing the most work out of anything would you say the um the mindfulness um session would you say that's similar to uh i think it's emdr right like it's where yeah, you that they're comfortable okay so it's like an extension of that cool um so the healing circles that you offer in your practice, is it specific uh, survivors or is it just, you know, all around traumatic experiences? Like, I, I would say all in all, like, because trauma is trauma. Like, yeah. if we're having a traumatic ex- um, response to it, then it was traumatic for you. Um, a lot of the women that do work with me have more of a focus in sexual and, and domestic trauma but that's not my like calling of only working with them I'll work with anyone as long as someone is respectful right because I know I know sometimes like with like group group therapy I don't know if it's just like some specific topic or if it's just kind of like a group sharing this is how we're going to heal from it together kind of thing right well then um, even my weekly session, which is the Survive Hers Guide, it's actually just a group to talk um, where women are coming together to talk about their experiences and, and their own toolkit of just getting through life. Right. It doesn't have to be big trauma. It can be. But I found every attendee, they, they're open, they're compassionate that they're not sitting there judging anyone and 
and it's just like a really wholesome conversation of, well, this is how I got through it. And, you know, that's such an important, uh, you know, standpoint to have too, where people aren't judging other people. Um, I think when the conversation of group therapy ever came up to me, you know, uh, when I was in my teen years was just kind of like always, I don't know what anybody else is going through kind of thing. And I don't want to be judged for sharing my story. Um, especially, especially growing up as a, as a guy that didn't have those resources, you know, it was always kind of, uh, you know, shamed upon to have therapy. Um, and when therapy was brought up to me, uh, maybe like early twenties by my mom, who was my abuser, um, I was very skeptic about it because it's just like any pain that I expressed with her was always used against me. You know, she always uh, found a new place to stick the knife essentially. And I took anger management when I was in like sixth, seventh grade, because, you know, parents recently divorced. Uh, my parents were always fighting and I was a very angry, very angry kid. And I don't remember anything beneficial from anger management at all. Like there was no like counseling. There was no, uh, here's some, here's some tips to help you get through this. I, I just remember making a, a freaking collage and that's it. <laughs> that's all I remember. Um, so group therapy for me just always kind of came off as I don't want to be judged. I don't want what I'm going through to be devalued because somebody else may or may not have gone through something more traumatic than what I did. Right. Well, and, and personally, like, I, I've always disliked group therapy on, like, the trauma side of things, because I, like, that requires an insane amount of vulnerability to talk about your trauma in a group of people you don't really know. And, and that's why my weekly series, we don't talk about the trauma. We just talk about the survival. If someone wants to get into it, like, they're allowed to but it, there's no expectation right like i don't even bring it up it's just okay so what do you do to get through the hard stuff and it's so important to talk about the healing portion of it instead of like focusing on a traumatic matter because it's just like i feel when it comes to you know just any super traumatic experience it's just if somebody went through something similar it's like oh well at least this didn't happen to you and i feel like those kind of like unintentional jabs always happen um like like for instance in in the the group you know uh i encourage people to post in there all the time and sometimes if they don't feel comfortable they send me a message like hey can i post this anonymous i'm like i i encourage you to post it anonymously i think it's the greatest feature ever put in a facebook group um because some people like you said it takes so much just to be vulnerable and to be able to share trauma with 1800 strangers. I mean, I remember one time I was leaving the gym. Uh, I think this was about four years ago. I sat in my car for two and a half hours and wrote something about my mom that was just kind of, you know, when I, whenever you leave the gym or when you're done exercising and you just kind of feel, you know, you're, decompressing your heart rate slowing down and then just like everything that you just got out in that workout just kind of like goes to the front of your head and you wanted to get it out 
I spent two and a half hours writing something about my experience and my mom and I blacked out. I don't remember writing any of it when I posted it. Um, it got so much attention and I don't even remember like one word that I wrote. Um, yeah. And it's trauma is so hard to express to some people. Yeah. I And, and the disassociation is really real. Yeah. It's also like you probably got what would be classified as triggered and and it was too intense and and like not in a bad way but for your own safety you slipped yeah and I, and i remember messaging my brother i said hey i want you to to read what i just posted uh, in the group cuz it was something and this is when the group was public so you know i was kind of scared to mm-hmm. to post it um and then i think like shortly after somebody's like hey i think we should make this group private because there's a lot of stories in here. I don't want somebody to take it upon themselves and, you know, copy and paste it in some other group and claim that it's their story. Cause I've seen that happen before and it's disgusting that people do that. But um, I remember after I posted it, they said, you should make this group private because that's something that I don't want to get back to your mom. Um, my brother's like, Holy shit. I didn't know any of that happened to you. Like we grew up together, but he, live with my dad and I dealt with my mom um, and all the experiences I had with her were very traumatic and mostly negative. So when I shared that um, it was one of those things where I was hoping that somebody can get something out of it and, you know, talk about their story. And it did inspire a lot of people to start posting. Um, But it's, it's so hard to just have a platform and talk about anything semi-traumatic. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the huge part of even why I tell my stories. Like I, I talk around them in the issue, but believe me, like those books are the furthest thing from graphic right? because they, they can't be other. Ultimately like the second book, I I'm sharing the very common narrative of a kid that is sexually abused ends up in sex work as a minor and and the addiction and other things that followed like yeah in there I was paralyzed and other things that were traumatic happened as well but ultimately it's the narrative of a life of a sexually abused kid and I'm one of the few that was lucky enough to end their addiction and to still be here, like actually working my dream job and trying to make a difference in this world. And, you know, I feel the, the most important part of that is saying uh, that you overcame and you're trying to inspire and you love what you do. And obviously, you know, like I said before, you can tell how passionate you are about the things that you talk about. And I, I wish there were more people like you in this society just because you know i feel a lot of people that can share their trauma are are strong enough but the people that can share their trauma and create a platform off of it to share their story to help others heal is second to none being absolutely incredible um my last episode that just dropped um was with my good friend judy um we 
talked about uh, sexual assault awareness. She shared her story and I had a handful of people uh, message me like, Hey, I just want to let you know that your podcast is reaching, uh, um, you know, extended heights and it's getting to a point where I'm taking a notebook out and I'm writing stuff down from your podcast and it helps me so much. Um, and then for yourself to be able to share how traumatic the things that you went through and be able to create what you've created. Um, again, you know, I can't say enough how thankful I am that that people like you do exist and are helping others heal. Oh, we're all honored to still be here. Yeah. Maybe less so on the hard days. Right. But we're still here. Absolutely. Um, so for our listeners and potential future clients for yourself. Um, what does the ancest- uh, ancestral guidance and connection do for a client seeking the path of healing? That would be making sure that you are connected to your culture. I, I don't even mind helping someone if they know their roots, doing the research and helping them connect more to what would have been tribal practices because I often deal with indigenous black um, and other people of color. Like there are so many people in this world that are growing up without their roots. I, I'm one of the few that grew up um, off reserve that I know the indigenous side of my roots, but I don't know the Nigerian half of my Afro-Italian heritage. I, I don't know it at all. Right. I uh, I grew up with uh, you know, both my parents are from New York, New Jersey. My mom's side of the family is Sicilian. My dad's side of the family is just kind of like all over the place. Um, the most common thing I've heard growing up and still to this day is like, "Oh, you're Sicilian? Do you know Italian?" I'm like, "No, I I don't. I grew up with the most American appearance that you can possibly grow up with." And uh. I don't know anything about my culture. I don't know anything about Italy. I don't know anything about the Cayman Islands, nothing. And I feel it's important to, to know your roots. Like you said, it's important to know where you came from. And, uh, you know, there's awareness there too. You know, there's uh, specific days that um, your culture might share that you don't know of. And, when you discover those roots and you can appreciate that culture, I feel like there's that huge sense of belonging there. Yes. And, and that is often something people are missing. Yeah. I, even myself, my, my face didn't make sense until I learned that I was not just Italian, but specifically Afro-Italian. Right. Mom, why didn't you know this? Well, just because my dad was relatively light-skinned. <laughs> like all, all I had to do was look up my last name and where they were from in Italy. Right. Like, um, really? I I definitely feel the sense of belonging some is something that very many of us are missing. Um me specifically, I don't have much of a relationship with either of my parents. Um, you know, my mom has been renamed to my birther because she's, you know, a mother's not supposed to be the way that she was to me growing up. Um, my dad has always been emotionally just not there. So um, him and I talk, you know, we can have conversations. But um, one thing I mentioned to my therapist was 
I didn't have the relationship with my dad that I thought I was starting to gain back because it would always just be conversations of what Cameron's doing, what Kayla's doing, my brother and my sister, um, or what my mom, what kind of crazy stuff that she's doing now. You know, I don't speak to my mom. So she always comes up as a conversation sometimes. Um, and I don't really have a relationship with any of anybody in my family, you know, and not having any familiarity with the culture that, you know, that I'm from, like any of my Italian family, people that live in Belgium that are my family members. I don't know any of them. I don't know anything about it. Um, and there's always that giant hole uh, inside of me that's just kind of like I wish I knew where I belonged and you know doing what I'm doing now there's a lot of sense of belonging there because I've helped create a family in the mental health group but what pe people fail to realize is okay take away social media like pretend that's not a thing I'm isolated I'm alone I don't have any sense of belonging you know I had to create that sense of belonging in that group and what you're yeah. doing is you know helping people find those roots and you know their family tree and you know help them uh express their culture and what they're missing in their life so i think you know that's that's pretty cool too well and and it's really the best part of con combining the different aspects of traditional medicine and and that healing with social work and and the okay resources you need to feel belonging and, and you know all of this let's go find it absolutely and when you're when you're able to do that research and you're able to find those tools to do so it's like oh cool my great-grandfather was this like i know my grandpa was in the korean war but that's that's really all that's all that i know you know i don't know anything about his family or where he came from i know my grandma came from italy but that's that's all i know i don't know anything about their culture or nothing and my parents never uh, went out of their way to say, you know, hey, you have parents or grandparents from here and we celebrate these specific holidays or these specific days. Like, I think the most I got out of an Italian culture was my great aunt, who's very Sicilian um, and had a gigantic dinner every time that we came over. Um, but that wasn't very, very common either. It was just like once in a while we'll go. Yeah. See, and, and that's a thing I think we're missing the most in North America because ultimately, like, even though it's two separate countries, we're we're both in melting pots. Absolutely. And yes, I I'm fortunate that indigenous culture is being re-embraced in Canada, but I'm unless I want to go hang out with a bunch of Italian immigrants in my city right. who I don't know and, and <laughs> right. don't link to I or or go to a fancy Italian restaurant like I'm not getting any link to my Afro-Italian heritage right um <laughs> is is Alberta anywhere near like the the French portion of Canada like I, I, obviously I don't know uh no Canada, Canada very um, well it's your second province in from the west coast. Um, our most French areas, well, well, there are actually a few um small French communities in Alberta. Would say most of it is very English and actually Americanized. 
Okay. Like, they jokingly call Alberta um, Canada's Texas. <laughs> judging from my face, you, you can understand it's not exactly a compliment. Right, right. <laughs> Completely fair. You're right. <laughs> um, so I, I, I like to ask all my guests this um, since we're close to wrapping up. If you could change one thing in the mental health community, what would it be? It would be that every professional, although we all have our hourly rate, everyone functioned on a sliding scale, at least at, at a percentage of the time. Because I myself, most people that are high risk don't have the jobs or the stability in their life to pay for an entire counseling hour. Absolutely. Like of my full rate, they, they might be good for 15 minutes of that. But in reality, I I can help more people if I function on a sliding scale and I'm happy to because ultimately at the end of the day, you have to give people grace. And those in trauma need the grace the most. Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, we ha- we have, of course, have those programs that that offer free therapy and everything, right? And I've had uh, friends who have gone to uh, therapists that are free, um, and all of them have been almost all negative. You know, it's just kind of like they don't really help. They, you know, it's just always kind of like pushing me away, kind of feeling. And I'm like, well, you know. I, I hate saying this saying to uh, a situation like that, but you get what you pay for. It. You know, it's they're not being paid to help people. They're being paid in a program that's probably super underpaying them. And, and exactly. And I even myself um, as a poor team in those free government programs, I, I had one counselor that actually to this day made an impact and changed my life. Right. The rest of them were were basically write-offs. They they didn't listen. They weren't helpful. They they didn't do like the the accountability or the action steps to to change the experience or the feeling. Right. Um, what would be your best advice to anybody who's seeking out therapy? Try. Try to not give up before you find your best fit. Because finding a therapist, counselor, um, whatever you want to call them, it, it might take a while. You, you might not get the right one until more than five tries. Yeah. I've definitely had a, a handful of friends who have gone through four or five therapists and then finally gave up and uh, you know, I think the most important part of finding a therapist is is asking questions, you know, not just going there blindly and just not knowing what to expect. Because, you know, like we mentioned earlier, therapy takes work inside and outside that room. And you can't just go in there and be like, oh, well, I'm here for therapy. You know, how can you help me? It's like, no, how can they help you uh, to a point of what do they cover? You know, can they prescribe medicine if I need it? You know, uh what types of therapy do you use? And I think that's the most important part too, because 
not everybody can, you know, uh, function off of just regular cognitive therapy. Exactly. And also like stand your ground. Yeah. You say you're experiencing grief or anger or anxiety or depression and, and you lay out the scenario and the counselor says, so what I'm hearing is the exact opposite of what you just said. Don't, don't nod, don't agree. Reiterate yourself until yeah. they actually understand. Because sometimes it's not that they're listening. Sometimes it's just a miscommunication in the words you used to describe. And I know that that is incredibly frustrating, but it's, it's the self-advocacy. Yeah. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I need help with. What you just heard is not what I'm experiencing and not what I need help with. Let's try again. I remember my friend Victoria, when she was going into a therapy for the first time, it was a actually paid therapist. And, uh, you know, she was experiencing therapy for the first time. And I told her, I said, you know, make sure you're asking those questions. You know, therapy is not just for venting, you know, and again, like I said, that's a huge misconception about therapy. Yeah, yeah, it is for venting, but it's so much more than that. You have to express what your goals are with therapy. You can't just go to therapy for five years and, you know, nothing changes. If you're just going there for venting, nothing's going to, you know, nothing's going to change in your life. It's just, oh. you might as well call up your best friend and do the same thing. That's what I was just going to say. Oh my God, just sit around with your friends and... Uh, participate in a maladaptive behavior while having air quote social hour right and you know uh when I started going to therapy I remember one of my friends was so against it you know he was just like oh well why don't you just call me you know you could save money I said dude I've known you for 10 plus years and anything that I were to tell you I know exactly how the conversation would go oh well your life may not be that bad or you know, whatever you know about my life, you know, this therapist doesn't know all the ins and outs of my relationships and my French, my friendships with people. It's an unbiased opinion and they're there to help you heal. They're not just there to hear you vent. Right. And, you know, it took a while for me to like drill that in the back of his head. And unfortunately we don't talk anymore, but um, it just kind of, a lot of people that are not for therapy or just don't think they need therapy, you know, always just, you could just call me. You don't need to go to therapy and save money. It's like, it doesn't work that way, but sorry. Yeah. Um, so at the end of every podcast, um, and this being a suicide prevention uh, month, I found a quote um, just to read on that topic. Uh, before I read mine, did you have any quotes that you live by or wanted to read to our listeners before we close up today? I don't think so. And mostly okay. because I cannot come up with one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No worries at all. Um, so I found a quote from uh, the foundation to write love in her arms. Uh, if you guys are not familiar with um, with this group, I highly recommend you follow them. They are absolutely brilliant. Um, probably one of my favorite foundations that we have here. Um, I've had conversations with them and they help me inspire the platform that I'm on. Uh, today. So uh, it reads, it's okay to be scared of what lies ahead. 
You are not alone in feeling this way, nor are you a burden for it. No matter how much you believe you are made to, uh, no matter how much you are made to believe otherwise. Like I said, uh, you know, this month for me is extremely important and, uh, I am absolutely grateful that you came on today. So thank you so much uh, again, Reese, for, for being on today. It was an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And uh, for all our listeners, you know, again, uh, I'll mention this all month. Um, if you need help, please don't hesitate to either reach out to me um, or, you know, dial 988, which is the crisis hotline, um, just in case you need it. If you're not comfortable calling it, you can reach out to me. I'll, I will sit on the phone with you to call them. And, you know, there's no pressure. Um, and for everybody else, be well. And as always, be gentle with yourselves. Until next time, much love, guys.